Okay, so we as a church have been going through a series called Unstoppable, which is on the unstoppable work of God's power and presence, the unstoppable work of God's Holy Spirit from eternity past right to today and including today and for eternity future. And more recently, we've been talking about spiritual gifts and more recently, some of the gifts that maybe require a bit of a deeper dive into the gifts so that we can, on one hand, not only understand them with our minds and what the scriptures have to say about these things, but also So what does it mean to truly be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, when not only do we hear His words and His truth, but we figure out what does it mean to do His words, to obey Him with our actions. So last week we started talking about healing, and we're going to continue talking about healing today. And so I want to start today where I started last week, and that is miraculous healing is something I think every single one of us wishes to be true, but is afraid to believe is true. And that is because of our own unanswered prayers, and therefore that accompanying doubts and pain and fear, right? As well as some of the crazy antics and money generating antics of some of these public so-called faith healers. And that's put us off. Maybe some of us have been taught something contrary to what we're teaching today. And so our theology maybe prevents us from thinking about God healing today as we're going to talk about it. And so what we want to do is we want to be honest with both sides of the picture. On the one hand, we want to come to terms with the fact that healing was part of Jesus' ministry. Part of His demonstration as He proclaimed the kingdom of God, He demonstrated the kingdom of God. His disciples did the same thing. The early church did the same thing. And we are convinced from Scripture that God is still alive and well and the Spirit of Jesus is still healing today. So that's the one side that we want to come to terms with. But we also want to come to terms with the other side, the sovereignty of God in healing, the mystery of God in healing. And there are some scriptures that can be helpful to maybe answer some of the questions we have, some of the unanswered questions. There will always be a mystery. And Sam Storms, he writes on spiritual gifts, he says, when it comes to healing, there's just mystery everywhere. But we, all, we want to come to terms with the fact that God still heals and there's still God's sovereignty and there's mystery in miraculous healing. And so today we want to talk about two dynamics that we need to grow and mature in. And this, this is not just for elders. This is not just for me. This is for every single one of us. If we want to grow in the ministry of healing, the problem is with these two dynamics is they are tough to measure because they're not the outward dynamics that we can see, we can, we can train in, we can observe, do this, do that, after you've done this, pray this, pray, put your hands here, don't put your hands there. That's outwardly easy to see, it's, it's measurable. But internally, there needs to be something far more important going on. And so today we're going to talk about God's compassion and our faith. Bianca and I are watching a TV series at the moment and it's all in the world of like espionage and covert agencies and, and good and bad spies and, and double agents. And two of the main characters experience the same thing. 
Two of the main characters both had the experience of genuinely falling in love with someone and genuinely getting married to this person. In one of the cases, they even had a child. And so they went through all the motions of love and life and marriage, only to discover years later that one of these more nefarious organizations had kind of charged these people with becoming a spy and getting them to fall in love with them so that they could steal secrets from these people. And so there were the outward mechanisms of marriage, all the romance and all the holidays and all the highs and lows of marriage. But the inner workings of marriage were completely absent, at least in the double agent side of things. And so would you say that's a big deal or a small deal? That's a big deal, right? Devastating to find out that outwardly, I thought we were married. Inwardly, I couldn't be more wrong. And in the same way, yes, there is some wisdom we can follow when it comes to the outward dynamic of the ministry of healing, how to pray, the kinds of things that we can do, what is wise, what is less wise when it comes to this. But inwardly, I would argue that the things we're going to speak about today are probably even more important than the outward stuff. And the outward stuff really is only to support what is inwardly going on. So I said we'd be talking about compassion and faith. So let's talk about starting with compassion. And as we do this, it's always a good idea to look at Jesus and His Word and His ways. And so let's look at Matthew 14, verses 14, jumping through a whole lot of verses today, not sticking with one passage like we did last week. Matthew 14, verses 14, when Jesus landed... This is not from space, this is when he is in a boat. Uh, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Matthew 20 verses 34, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately these two men received their sight and followed him. Mark 1 verses 41, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Now, these are some of the verses that make explicit what the other stories of Jesus' healing are making implicitly. And not just when it comes to Jesus' healing ministry, but also His ministry of, of, of the kingdom of God and some of His other miracles is that Jesus was always moved by compassion. The Greek word for compassion literally means to be moved in your inner organs. Have you ever seen someone in such suffering that your insides literally start turning? And so this is describing who God is and how He relates to us in our pain. He's not kind of detached from our pain or He's not coming into our pain with this condescending pity. He's not coming in with this superhero complex, you know, da -da -da -da, I'm here to save the day. No, rather He sees us in our pain and our suffering and He is deeply moved in the deepest core of who He is. That's just a wonderful truth to know about who our God is. And so if that is true of Jesus, this is something that we need to get deep into our own souls. That what motivates us for ministry and what motivates us, especially in this conversation around the ministry of healing, 
is the compassion of Christ. Where our hearts are broken by the pain and the suffering of those that we get the privilege to serve. And so if that is kind of the, the North Star of what our motivation ought to be, what are some false motivations? Now it's going to be easy for you to sit here and go, well, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. I want to suggest to you that we need to allow the Lord to help us see past our own blind spots and maybe our own insecurities and our own oftentimes false motivations as we self-diagnose here. For some of us, one of the false motivations is that we're outcome focused. In other words, I'm engaging in this ministry time, this prayer time, and all I want to do is see a healing. And all I'm caring about is, is there a healing or is there not a healing? But I am not actually loving the person in front of me. For some of us, similarly, it's trying to prove something. I'm trying to either prove that the gift is still real or I'm trying to prove to someone else that I too am anointed or I'm trying to prove to myself that I too am anointed. And once again, it's about my own spiritual ego and it's not about me humbly loving the person in front of me. And then, of course, there, there's the glory. Now, many of you are, are never going to stand on a stage and pray for crowds for healing. And so that might not be your temptation. But even in a one-on-one -on -one context, it's just, once again, it's the kind of the savior complex, the superhero complex, the, the, the anointed guy, the anointed girl. Oh, I'm here. And so I'm going to save you. And if that is my motive, I'm going to take some of the glory that is rightfully God's. And then finally, sometimes our motivation is just healing at all costs. This is where we do see some of the manipulative tactics by these so-called faith healers. Where, and this is documented. Let's have a few, you know, organized healings in inverted commas so that everyone can start having faith in the moment and maybe we'll see some real healings. Oh, and while you're at it, it's just, you know, throw a couple of hundred dollars our way so you can guarantee your healing because it's healing at all costs, right? Contrast that with the heart of Jesus where everything He did, everything He said in the name of the Father and, and for His kingdom was out of love and out of a heart of compassion, one of the outcomes of this was that every time Jesus engaged with someone who needed healing. And some of these stories were just desperate stories, painful stories, at times shameful stories. But in every single story, there was a preservation and a raising of human dignity and worth. I've got permission to share this, but a few months ago, we had Des Pile up here on the stage just speaking to us about just how does God relate to people with disabilities? And what is our role as a church about when it comes to that? And, and, and what is their journey of life and faith as a family look like? And for those of you who don't know, one of their daughters, Savannah, is someone who does have some disabilities. 
And of course, over a period of, of many, many years, or over decades in fact, as a Christ-following family, they have prayed probably hundreds of times for her to be healed, right? And yet one of the most painful experiences they've had, and she did share that from the stage as well as in our conversations, is when they go to a church, and I'm going to say it, the truth is they've experienced this here. They go to a church and people maybe right-heartedly but wrong-headedly beeline for the person in the wheelchair and make it their project, right? With no idea, but how many prayers for healings have already been processed? No idea for the complexity of life and faith that needs to be navigated in that context. No thought to, to human dignity. No thought to the grace of God that is at work in her life. Does this mean Mike and Daisy have given up? Of course not. But there are very real stories that we need to navigate here. And if we are motivated not by making somebody a project, but by their human God-given dignity, we're going to approach all situations very differently with great humility, great love, and great compassion. And the net result will be, listen, when we pray for someone for healing, and if God moves in power, praise the Lord. But if He doesn't in that way, we are still able to love someone. We are still able to impart love and dignity. And what else is God doing here? How else is God importing love and grace into this family or this person's situation? By doing this, by praying for people who are sick, we are modeling Christ. But by doing it with a compassionate heart, having self-audited ourselves with some of these false motives, we are also becoming more like Christ. And so I want to suggest to you that whether you're praying for someone up here in stage or someone in your family or someone in the workplace or maybe someone that you bump across uh, at checkers or whatever the case might be, that your goal is how do I love this person with the Father's supernatural power? And if God moves in power, well, that's amazing. But if he doesn't, well, there's still love. There's still compassion. There's still a deposit of God's heart in this moment. I want to also suggest to you that if you feel like this is a ministry that you're being called to, and again, you don't need the title of elder or pastor for this. I believe every single one of us can do this. But one of the most dangerous but godly and, and heart-shaping prayers that we can pray comes to us from one of the songs that we sing here. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. The more our heart breaks for the things that break God's heart, the more our heart becomes like God's heart. And the more we become motivated by the love and the compassion that motivated Jesus Christ. And once again, that means that we need to be willing to enter into these moments with sympathy and with, with compassion and great humility and great love. 
So I said we're going to speak about two things, compassion. The second thing I want to speak about this morning is, is faith. Once again, so hard to measure. How do we externally measure faith? Now what I'm going to say today might surprise some of you, especially if maybe your background is you know, more from the faith healing, word of faith movement. And uh, while I do have some, some serious concerns about that side of our Christian family, uh, I do recognize them as Christian family. I don't have time to get into some of those concerns. Obviously, they do have a great faith in the God who still heals today. But in this world, there's this whole sector of the Christian world, the, the, the faith healing or word of faith movements that basically teach that's a secret source for the healing to happen is faith. If you have the right faith, the right amount of faith, they would even talk about faith in faith. In other words, as I get to this moment of prayer, I need to muster up some sort of internal confidence so that I have enough faith in the faith that I have. It's like pulling yourself up by your own socks, right? And so on one hand, there is some truth to the role of faith in the ministry of healing. And so what is the truth? What can we hold on to here? Well, I want to look at many of the stories in the Gospels, just briefly, where Jesus did heal because of someone's faith. In Matthew chapter 9, there was a story of these friends who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 2, when Jesus saw their faith. So in this case, there was the paralyzed man. He's responding to the faith of his friends. So that's a great encouragement when we come to God on behalf of someone else, that we are encouraged to come with great faith. In verse 29, a few verses later, this is now two blind men and it's their own faith here. And Jesus says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Then there's a Canaanite woman that calls on Jesus to heal her daughter from being just severely oppressed by a demon. And Jesus says, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And then Mark 6, Jesus is just, we, we, we hear about just what his ministry in his hometown looked like. And it says, yeah, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. You know, like as if that's nothing. That's all he could do. But anyway, but he was amazed at their lack of faith. Why? We saw Jesus grow up. We know that there's not much to him in inverted commas. We saw him go through puberty. We saw him as a teenager, right? We know his, his family. We know his mom and his dad. And so people weren't coming to him to have their friends healed, to have themselves healed because there wasn't the faith in who God was in Jesus Christ. And so when we look at their verses, it really looks like there we have it, folks. Faith is a secret source that we need in order to see the healings we want to see. And while those verses are certainly there, there is more to the picture that is going to help mature our understanding of the role of faith in the ministry of healing. Remember last week we spoke about John chapter 5 with the paralyzed man. He was at the pool of Bethesda and he was lying there for 38 years and Jesus miraculously healed him. I don't know if you remember, I didn't point it out because I knew we'd be talking about this today. But there was no mention of his faith just Jesus' willingness to heal him. In fact, in the entire Gospel of John, faith is never mentioned as a prerequisite 
for Jesus to heal someone. Some of these stories overlap, but here's a new one. Mark chapter 8, there's this desperate father who comes to Jesus because his son is demon-possessed. And he says this, I do believe, but, but help me overcome my unbelief. Now in the, in the faith in faith or some of the, the word of faith movements, that person would be condemned. There should be no unbelief. Come back later when you have more faith. Let's check out the faith gauge. Oh, well, it's not up and to the right. Well, sorry, the healing's not gonna happen. Does Jesus condemn him? Sorry, bud, not enough faith. No. Jesus cast the demon out of him. The leper in Matthew 8 didn't assume that Jesus would heal him, but only that he could heal him. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Oh, but there's no room for ifs. Because some of us pray with ifs. And some of you were taught in, 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 in training when it comes to this. No, you've got to take the word if out. You can't say, Lord, if it's your will, because that, that's too soft. And yet here it is, right here. If you are willing, you can heal. And guess what Jesus did? He didn't rebuke him. He healed. And so as we put all of this together, absolutely. Faith plays a huge role in how we minister to people. But when we over or underemphasize some of these verses that we spoke about, we can do great damage, once again, to people who we're claiming to love. Two quick stories. Family that we came to know very well years ago, their, um, their son just got irreversibly sick for many years, but after a few months of, of him being sick, there's a conversation with the pastor just about, you know, the condition, the fact that he's sick and what's going on here. And they're like, no, he's not sick. Um, he hasn't got out of bed for two months. No, he's not sick. And it's like, is this where this, the, this false faith that I need to have is leading me to somehow I need to conjure up in my mind Something that is not patently true in front of me. That just leads us to really strange places. Another story, early days here at Riverside, we had someone come forward for prayer and I just heard a heartbreaking story where her daughter had died, 21 years old. And her church had told her, well, I'm sure they tried to say it kindly, but how do you say to someone kindly, well, maybe it's because you never had enough faith. You're placing the guilt of your own daughter's death on someone. And that comes from only focusing on some of the verses in Scripture without being honest with some of the other verses in Scripture. And so Stephen, once again, uh, where does that leave me? Do I have faith that God can heal? Don't I? And welcome to the mystery once again. So what can we have faith in? What can we have great confidence in? Well, as we've seen, I believe that we can have great faith in God's compassion and love for the sick. That when we're praying for someone, Jesus is moved. He is not indifferent. He's not calloused to our pain. 
And regardless of the outcome, God deeply loves this person and is deeply moved by their suffering. I believe we can hold on to that and take that to the bank. Number two, I believe that we can have faith that God does heal today, if not always. That God does heal today, if not always. And for some of you that might sound like, oh, Stephen, that's kind of causing me to to dial out. I think we should be dialing in. Let me give you at least one reason why Jesus taught us to pray every single day, your kingdom come. More of your kingdom breaking into this kingdom. Reminding us that regardless of what I see going on around me in the kingdoms of this world and the evil of this world, as a Christian, part of me is to look at the kingdom of God and pray for more of that in these places of darkness and pain and suffering. But Stephen, I'm not guaranteed a healing. No, no, you're not. But we can still have faith that Jesus is still here and that he can heal even if he doesn't. But Stephen, I, I, I know this church, I know, I know this ministry, I know this, this, you know, this uh, YouTube healer, you know, he says something different. Well, that's, that's totally fine and I'm okay with that. I'm trying to expose us to maybe a fuller picture of God's heart for us as well as the kind of faith that I believe God is calling us to have. And so we're going to take some time to put our faith in God into practice in two ways. The first is by coming to the table. Isaiah 53 verses 45 says, Surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Is Jesus indifferent to our pain and suffering? No, He took it upon Himself. And yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. If ever there's a place where we mysteriously come to the healing presence of God, it is at the table. If ever we come to the God who is demonstrably compassionate when it comes to how He loves us and how He demonstrated His love for us. It is at the cross, it is at the table. While we still have many questions about the role of God in my pain and my suffering, one thing we cannot say is that He is unmoved and He is not compassionate. The cross is absolute certainty that He is deeply moved and deeply passionate. And when it comes to our faith, I said at the beginning of the service, Christ's faithfulness to you will always outpace your faithfulness to Him. But Lord, how do I know that? The cross. Our iniquities, our shame, our pain, our suffering, He took upon Himself because of His faithfulness to us. And while he took our pain and our sin and our iniquities upon himself and was pierced for that, what does he give us? He gives us peace and he gives us healing. And so in a few moments, we're all going to come around the table. 
I want us to just don't rush through this, but to truly recognize the compassion of God displayed to us and for us on the cross. You'll leave these verses on the screen behind me just as, as a tangible reminder. But after we've looked at Christ's compassion and his faithfulness, we are going to transition to a time and a moment in our church service where we can start coming around each other, trusting the God who is compassionate for our needs and who is able to heal. And where you guys, not me, where you guys are able to come on behalf of others and say, Lord, we trust your heart. We trust your ability to heal. And now I'll bring my brother or sister before you. And so we're going to put our faith into practice today. Firstly, by going to the table where we take of the bread, representing the broken body of Christ. And the blood representing the shed blood for us, making peace for us on the cross. If you find yourself in a place where you're on the side of, Lord, I need something of your grace today. Hey, maybe even today, I need some of your healing power today. It could be a, a physical need. It could be a relational need. It could be an emotional or a spiritual need. But Lord, I need your healing power today. I want to invite you to come before the table, take the elements and just maybe remain. We're all going to be in a state of flux moving around here. Just remain in the front, either standing here, get on your knees or maybe go and sit in the front row. And maybe some of you are saying, Lord, I want to be available to maybe the possibility of you working powerfully and miraculously today. And so as you come to the table, maybe just keep an eye out and just kind of just, you know, just spend some time observing who's looking for prayer. And then what we're going to do first is we're going to take communion together. We're going to be with Jesus together. All of us, whether we want healing or we want to seek God for healing, we're going to be with the wounded healer first. Because we all need his grace. And then at some point, we're going to transition where we can start serving one another with the love of God and with the power of God. So let us pray. Father, we thank you that these verses in Isaiah written 700 years before you got on that cross show us your heart. And Lord, when it comes to the pain in this room or those who are watching online, the suffering that we're going through, the sin that has been uh, done against us or the sins of our own lives, Jesus, you took all of that on the cross 2,000 years ago. That makes you more acquainted with our suffering and our pain than anybody else. And you did it gladly so that you could give us peace. You could give us salvation. You could give us your healing and powerful presence. And so God, as we do come to the table in faith, trusting your heart and trusting your power, we know you are here, God. As we come to your table, we're asking that your spirits would be moving among us, bringing life, peace, and healing. Church, in your own time, please take communion together.
and then we will move into a time of ministry after that. Tables in the front, tables on the side, a table up there.